Welcome to part two of our three-week message series titled, How to Wreck Your Marriage, A Practical Guide to Marital Sabotage and How to Avoid It. We are looking at some of the behaviors and habits that can work their way into any marriage and cause real problems, and then we're looking at better alternatives to those behaviors and habits. If you're married, then you know your marriage needs maintenance. All of us who are married need regular checkups and reminders that realign things in our marriage and keep us on track toward health and happiness. It doesn't happen naturally. And if there's one thing I wanna share with every married couple about this message, it's that this message is not for your spouse, okay? This message is for you. It is so easy when you hear a teaching on marriage to immediately go into the mindset of, I hope my spouse is paying attention because even I can tell that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to them right now. Don't be worrying about them. You don't have the ability to change anyone else, including your spouse. You can only choose to change your own behavior. So when your mind drifts to your spouse and how this applies to them, bring it back to yourself and evaluate yourself in light of today's message. Don't let me catch you elbowing your spouse, being like, are you listening? God is speaking to you right now. Don't do that. If you're not married, this series is just as important because if you're not married, you need to have a vision for your future marriage and set standards and goals for your future marriage that will ensure it is happy and healthy from the get-go. So with that, let's jump right in. We're continuing our list from last week, so we're gonna start, you can make a note of this, with marriage wrecking tip number four, which is resent your spouse for not being psychic. This is a great marriage wrecking tip. You need to resent your spouse for not being psychic because as we all know, when two people love each other, and I'm talking real love, when they truly love each other, they are both imbued with psychic powers which allow them to know what the other is thinking. That's one of the most surefire tests of true love, isn't it? When you're bothered by something, your spouse should just know. But if they clearly don't know, if, if they aren't getting it, you can, if you're feeling generous, give them little hints by uh, just being moody or emotional with no further explanation. Um, you can go with some passive aggressive behavior, but, but nothing too obvious or that really defeats the purpose. Or you can just withhold physical affection and not say anything nice to them. That, that's another good way to just give their psychic powers a little nudge. All of those are great ways to let your spouse know that something's wrong without actually letting them know that something's wrong, if you know what I'm doing, because that would, that would defeat the whole purpose. You know it's true love, and therefore, they could choose to read your mind, they're just not trying hard enough. As crazy as that sounds, married couples do that all the time. There's an issue that needs to be addressed in our marriage, but we don't want to simply address it. We want the other person to also feel like something is wrong. We want them to be bothered by it as well because we believe that they should be bothered by it. So we try to get them to notice something is wrong by sharing the bare minimum amount of information possible. This can be communicated with the occasional unexplained death stare or, or just the cold shoulder, cutting conversation short, cutting comments, things like that. And we set in motion the most awful marriage game of all, which is called guess what's wrong. But you know what the problem is? Most of the time, 
the only thing our spouse guesses is wrong is us, right? The only guess is I know what's wrong, it's you. My husband's grumpy all the time, that's what's wrong. My wife is crazy, that's what's wrong, I know exactly what's wrong. So hear me on this. You need to stop waiting for your spouse to read your mind. Let me say it again. Stop waiting for your spouse to read your mind. They're not psychic. God did not give them that superpower. Your hints are not working. You need to be direct and say what you think they should intuitively know because they don't know it. In what's known as the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, we read that love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Truth has to be articulated. It has to be defined. It's not enough for truth to be hinted at or implied or inferred. We love the Bible so much, it's so valuable to us because it's the truth of the word of God in black and white. It's not a book full of hints. It's not a book full of vague allusions to something that maybe there might be a higher power of some sort out there who wants something to do with us and can help us in some sort of way. It's specific. That's why it's so useful to us. We love Jesus because he came to the earth as flesh and blood. He was the word made flesh. He was love articulated. And what 1 Corinthians 13 is saying in that verse is that real love rejoices whenever truth is defined, whenever it's defined. And when we make the choice to conceal or not fully reveal the truth in our marriage, we're not operating in love. And when we shine a light on the truth, when we make it clear, we are operating in love. But we're not moving in the arena of love when we know what a truth is and we intentionally obscure it, don't fully share it and expect the other person to find it out on their own. If you're not clear with your spouse about the truth of an issue, and they don't respond, do you realize you have nothing to complain about? You have absolutely nothing to complain about? Did you catch that? If you don't articulate an issue, if you don't speak it out with actual words, you don't have a valid reason to be upset. And I wish we could just camp there for five minutes and be like, you you just sit with that until that fully rests in because it's a huge thing. You can't be mad at somebody for failing to meet expectations that you never actually defined for them in the first place. Doesn't make any kind of sense. So write this down. It's not your spouse's fault for failing to meet your unspoken expectations. It's not your spouse's fault for failing to meet your unspoken expectations. That is huge. When you hear people say that communication is the key to a great marriage, this is what they're talking about. You have to actually ask for what you want. I know that sounds crazy, but you have to actually ask for what you want. Sometimes, you know, a divorce takes place because one person feels like, the other spouse has taken them for granted for years and years and years. You probably heard stories like this and then when it happens, the other spouse is just gobsmacked because they had no idea that their spouse felt that way. They had no idea they felt taken for granted all this time and yet the spouse that's leaving says, yeah, you've always taken me for granted and I've had enough and now I'm leaving. That's not okay. You know why? Because the spouse that was feeling taken for granted never actually communicated that. 
They just stored it inside and hoped and wished that it would magically change at some point. They never articulated that expectation. They don't have a valid reason to be offended when they haven't even shared what the issue is and they haven't shared the expectation that they have. When we fail to do that, we're sabotaging our marriage because we're fully aware of something that would improve our marriage but we're instead choosing to conceal it from our spouse. Instead of empowering them with the information that would strengthen our marriage, we're sabotaging them by keeping it to ourselves and instead keeping them trapped in some sort of awful guessing game. It's not your spouse's fault for failing to meet your unspoken expectations. They're not psychic. If you are punishing your spouse in any way, for not being able to read your mind, you need to stop. It's not fair, it's not right. And you need to tell them plainly what you wish they knew. You need to tell them plainly what you wish they could read from your mind because they can't. And the only way they're gonna find out is if you tell them. And if you don't, it's on you. It's not on them. Let me share one more common way couples fail to communicate. So a spouse, tell me if this sounds familiar here. A spouse does something or gets something done that they want attention for. It could be anything. Maybe wife gets a new haircut, husband takes the trash out, and if you're like me when you're a husband, when you do anything, you really expect a medal for it. Maybe they clean up the garage. Maybe they make a great meal. And so that spouse wants attention. They, they want a compliment, they want some praise, they want some verbalized affirmation. So what do they do? Well, they wait for their spouse to notice, right? But as soon as they've made that choice, the choice to, to wait for their spouse to notice, here's what they've really done. They've really got some sticks of TNT and they've put a bomb together and there's a countdown clock. Maybe it's one hour and they went, and the clock has now started. And that clock is running down until there's going to be an explosion unless the other spouse gives them the affirmation and notices the thing they're supposed to notice to defuse the bomb before it goes off. But here's the really fun part. Most of the time the other spouse doesn't even know that there's a bomb. And they have no idea how long the timer is going for. No idea. And so when it gets close to the end, and there's just a couple of minutes left before this massive explosion happens, if the other spouse is feeling charitable, they might give a hint like, notice anything different? You have 60 seconds. Before the world ends, and now now the other spouse is put in the situation of playing this twisted game of I spy, where they have a limited amount of time to notice something or else the entire evening is ruined. That scenario plays out all the time in marriages and Charlene and I used to play that game a lot and we just got tired of it. And so I just wanna share with you something that works a lot better. Asking for what you want. So it's a regular, almost everyday occurrence in our marriage now for one of us to tell the other person something like, I just emptied the garbage, tell me I'm awesome. You're awesome, oh, thank you so much. Or you need to tell me what an amazing cook I am because this dinner is amazing. Oh, this is amazing, this is incredible. And then we'll tell the other person exactly what they wanna hear because we love them and we want them to feel appreciated. But here's the amazing part. Even when you tell your spouse to compliment you, it still feels good when they do. 
It still does. It feels great. And you know what it feels a million times better than? Them not noticing what you did, you having a huge argument about it, and the whole day being ruined. It feels about a million times better than that. So make a note of this. Don't play guessing games in marriage. Ask for what you want. Don't play guessing games. Ask for what you want. Don't set your spouse up to fail. If you want them to notice something you did, tell them you did something. Tell them to notice. Tell them to say something nice. It still feels good when they do. And then trust that because your spouse loves you, they want to make you happy. They want to make you happy. Trust that. Ask for what you want. Now, an issue that can come up when we're talking about this is is how do you determine if what you're asking for or what your spouse is asking for is actually reasonable? How do you determine that? I mean, all of the husbands can't just wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, sweetheart, in the spirit of verbalizing what I would like, um, what would really bless me is if you could just handle all the kids, all the house cleaning during the day and, and figure out some sort of job that you could do at home during the nights so that I could just quit my job and, and rest. And, and that's what I really want. And I, I just wanted to be direct so that I could empower you with the information to help our marriage succeed. Now I'm obviously exaggerating for effect, but, but you, get, you get my point. Just because you're being direct about something you'd like to see in the marriage doesn't automatically mean it's fair or, or a reasonable expectation. So how do you determine if what you wanna ask for or if what they're asking for is a reasonable expectation in the marriage? I think this is one of the areas where a Christian marriage is supposed to look dramatically different to a marriage between two non-believers. This is one of the areas where where the difference should really be obvious because non-believers come up with their expectations for their marriage by negotiating among themselves and hopefully figuring out a compromise that works for both parties. Believers have a different authority at work in their marriage. Both the husband and wife are under the authority of God, under the authority of the Bible, the Word of God, and and under the authority of the leading of the Holy Spirit. When non-believers are talking about marital expectations, the central question that they're asking themselves is, is this a fair deal for me? That's how non-believers work through expectations in marriage. They're asking the question, is this a fair deal for me? And then they're negotiating and compromising until they reach a point where both people feel like it's a fair deal for them. When believers are talking about marital expectations, the central question a believer is supposed to ask is, is this what God is asking me to do? That's a very, very different question to, is this a fair deal for me? The believer is meant to ask themselves the question, is this what God is asking me to do? So when your spouse comes to you and asks you to do something or change something, which question are you asking in your mind? Are you asking, is this a fair deal for me? Or are you asking the question, is this what God is asking me to do? For the believer, the issue is not fairness. The issue isn't even a fair distribution of the load. The issue is, what's the Lord asking me to do? And the first place you go to answer that question is is the word of God. And if what your spouse is asking for is biblical, then you have to do it. You have to do it. There's no negotiation that needs to take place. It's that simple. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the word of God is the authority on your life. No second opinion needed. If it's a gray area, if it's something that scripture is not clear about, then you need to ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear to you. 
but you have to keep your focus on the question, is this what God is asking me to do? So write this down. For the believer, reasonable expectations in a marriage are determined by asking the question, is this what God is asking me to do? Is this what God is asking me to do? If you got married expecting things to be fair, you were way off, you were way off. Marriage is almost never fair. There'll be times when you will carry your spouse, there will be times when your spouse will carry you or drag you. But the one thing marriage will rarely be is, is fair because it's, it's not about that. It's about laying down your life to serve somebody in the name of Jesus. And each of you are gonna be better at doing that at different times of your marriage. And we're supposed to be both familiar and comfortable with this idea because at the center of our faith is a gospel that's not based on what is fair. The gospel is the good news that there's a God who loves us and has not been fair to us. He has not given us what we deserve. He's given us grace and he's poured kindness upon us that we didn't deserve and, and we could never earn. That's the center of our faith. So this idea of serving our spouse unfairly if need be is supposed to feel familiar to us because that's the way Jesus loves us. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote about marriage in Ephesians 5, it's on your outlines when he said, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he said, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that's the model. So when your spouse comes to you with an expectation or request, the question is not, is this fair? The question is, is this what God's asking me to do? Is this what he's asking me to do? We go to the word of God. If it's clear, we have our answer. If it's not, we ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us. Now that was all very constructive advice. Let's get back to some destructive advice with marriage wrecking tip number five. Write this down and we'll unpack it. Remember that you are psychic. This is important, it's a great way to wreck your marriage. Remember that you are psychic. When there's information that you need from your spouse, when you don't understand why they did or did not do something, when you don't understand what they meant by something they said, when you can't fathom how they could forget about something, when there is an information vacuum, you do not need to ask them for that information because you are psychic. You already know why they did that. It's because they're a supervillain, and just as Superman draws his strength from the sun, they draw theirs from your misery. Why did they do that thing? Because they're trying to ruin your life. You already know because you have psychic powers. Did they say anything to indicate that? No, but you don't need to ask because you already know. Have you noticed that when there's a lack of information, our human tendency is to invent an explanation? And have you noticed about yourself that the explanation we invent is almost always based on assuming the worst? Almost always? That's our natural tendency. It takes intentionality and discipline to change that natural behavior. We have to choose to make the choice to let our thoughts be guided by what we know is true rather than what we feel is true. 
We've got to let our thoughts be guided by what we know is true rather than what we feel is true. In the Christian life, one of the major steps of maturity that we all need to take as believers is choosing to believe the word of God over our feelings. Believing the word of God over our feelings. And when we start to do that, we very quickly realize that our feelings are absolutely full of it. Our feelings are full of it. They lie to us all the time. Have you noticed this about yourself? Your emotions lie to you all the time. Jeremiah 79 puts it pretty plainly when it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The world says follow your heart. The Bible has a different take. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We might feel like our world is ending, but we learn to go back to the word of God. We learn to say, here's what the Bible says. And I've experienced in my life over and over and over that the word of God is true. God will be faithful to take care of me always. And so even though my feelings are screaming something different, I choose to believe and speak out what I know is true. I make that choice. Getting to that place is one of the most important steps of maturity in the Christian life. Likewise, in marriage, one of the most important steps to take is having your thoughts guided by what you know is true rather than what you feel. Your feelings might say, I know exactly what's going on. They're probably late because they're spending time at their secret lair developing intricate and elaborate plans to make tomorrow as miserable as humanly possible for me. But what you know is they love me. I know they love me. I know they want good for me. I know they care about our marriage, so I'm sure whatever's going on, it's okay because I know that they love me. I know they want good for our marriage. Assume the best and remember that your feelings are generally full of it. So write this down. When there's a lack of information, choose to assume the best. When there's a lack of information, Choose to assume the best. Now why should you assume the best? Because there's no downside. But Jeff, what if I assume the best and I'm wrong? What if they did make a bad choice? Then you deal with it. But you've still protected your heart from the poison of negative thinking and you still look like the good guy. On the other hand, think of the downside of assuming the worst. When you're wrong, you look negative but probably mentally unstable as well. Because what's happened is you've imagined and convinced yourself of scenarios that aren't actually real. You can look a little crazy when you always assume the worst. That's a very real issue. And to state the obvious, does anyone enjoy having the worst assumed about them? Anyone? Of course not. In in fact, we hate it so much it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy because when we assume the worst about our spouse when they don't deserve it, the thought eventually crosses their mind, well, since they already seem to think that I'm an awful person, maybe I'll just start doing what I want because what's the worst that could happen? Their opinion of me stays the same? It can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Our spouses tend to, to rise and fall to our assumptions about them. Are your assumptions about your spouse calling them up or dragging them down? Which way are you leading them with your assumptions? The Apostle Paul wrote this in the book of Philippians. I put it on your outlines. He said, finally, brethren, 
Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, I'm gonna have you underline two words here. If there is any, underline any virtue, and if there is anything, underline anything praiseworthy, if there's anything, meditate on these things. And you know what, the Bible says that even though that's not the way the world is. So you might think in your marriage, hey Jeff, if you could have a reality check about what my marriage is like, you would know, you would know. Well, this verse is about a world that is full of brokenness and hurt and wickedness and junk and ugliness and the Bible still says don't spend your time focused in thinking about those things. Meditate on things that are pure, that are praiseworthy, that are virtuous. If there's anything, anything at all, focus on that because there's far more joy in focusing on the good than the bad. And there's far more blessing in any relationship when you recognize the good in that relationship rather than the bad. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. How do you think about your spouse? What's the percentage of thoughts that you have about them, negative versus positive? The Bible says meditate on the things that are praiseworthy, virtuous, that are a good report. Think about those things and it will impact you profoundly. We all know the things we meditate on affect us in a profound way. If you're constantly meditating on your spouse's faults, that's all you're gonna see. If you meditate on the good things about them, you're gonna find more good things about them to meditate on. If you need information, if you need an explanation, guess what, ask for it. Just ask for it. And when there's a gap between needing that information and getting that information, fill that gap by assuming the best. Fill that gap by assuming the best because you're not psychic. You're not psychic. And while we're on the subject of assuming the best, I wanted to just talk a little bit about regaining trust in a marriage. So how do you regain the trust of your spouse when you've had a serious failure in your marriage, and I wanna talk about this because you might have made a serious mistake in your marriage or, or had some kind of significant failure and you might be thinking, but my spouse always assumes the worst about me. If they've forgiven me, why can't they assume the best about me? I wanna talk about this a little bit. Make a note of this, then we'll talk about it. Marriage wrecking strategy number six. Expect forgiveness to mean freedom from consequences. Great way to wreck your marriage. Expect forgiveness to mean freedom from consequences. And you gotta hear me on this. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Forgiveness can be given in a moment, and, and while forgiveness is often a daily choice, it can still be initiated in a moment. Trust takes time to rebuild. Charlene was just telling me about an article that she read this week where a psychologist likened a major breach of trust in a marriage to a bridge that had been destroyed or demolished and then needed to be rebuilt. And that bridge of trust, so to speak, has to be rebuilt one brick at a time. And psychologists say that on average it takes 500 bricks to rebuild that bridge of trust. And here's an example of what that means. 
if it comes out that one spouse has made the mistake of, say, getting involved with internet pornography, the other spouse forgives them but now wants them to have accountability software on their computer, on their phone. They want to get those weekly reports on their internet activity. They want to be able to spontaneously check their browser history, their Netflix history, and things like that to see if they're actually keeping their commitment to change. Every time they check one of those things, and it checks out and it comes back that the commitment has been kept, that, that's one brick, one. And on average, it would take around 500 bricks, 500 checks before the other spouse fully trusts in that area again. That's a huge number. Another example, one spouse maybe becomes really ugly every time there's an argument or disagreement. Maybe they yell, scream, say incredibly hurtful things that they apologize for later. They apologize, they say they're gonna change. The forgiveness can be immediate, but the trust has to be rebuilt one brick at a time, meaning that it's gonna have to be one argument where they don't completely snap and lose their mind, followed by another one followed by another one in order to rebuild trust. And, and I think that 500 number might be a bit high, but I think it's a very good number to keep in mind because it helps us understand the seriousness of violating our spouse's trust. And it helps us understand that it's gonna take a long, long time to rebuild that trust. And that doesn't mean that your spouse hates you. It doesn't mean they haven't forgiven you. That's just the nature of trust. Serious breaches of trust take serious time to rebuild. And when we're genuinely sorry about something, we take ownership of that failure. And in marriage, taking ownership means being committed to that long process of rebuilding trust in that area. And we need to understand that when we fail again in that area, for all intents and purposes, the counter goes back to zero. It goes back to zero, and I know that's hard to hear, but this is the truth, and I'm speaking about this because I know that some of us have had failures in our marriages, and we're frustrated because we think our spouse isn't treating us as though that never happened soon enough. And I don't know that that's really a fair expectation. In my life and, and the lives of many other people, I recognize that the hardest part of rebuilding trust is that it requires an extreme amount of sustained humility over a significant period of time. Write that down. Rebuilding trust in a marriage requires sustained humility over a significant period of time. Because nobody likes it when you're a full-grown man or woman and your spouse is checking on your behavior in an area. Nobody likes that, nobody enjoys that. But rebuilding trust means not resenting your spouse for wanting to check and see if you're actually keeping your commitment to change. You can't resent them for that. Rebuilding trust means apologizing when you mess up and fail. Because when you do that, it communicates to your spouse that your goal is to get better, that you don't think that's acceptable. Rebuilding trust means not getting mad at your spouse and saying, it feels like you don't trust me. You know why it feels that way? Because they don't. They don't. That's why it feels like they don't trust you. It feels like you don't trust me to do stuff on my phone without monitoring software. No, no they don't. And if you push them, they'll tell you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be pushing that hard. You shouldn't need to make them say it. They don't trust you because you haven't earned that trust back yet. 
And of course, when we're the offender, we think it should be back in a week, a month, a couple of months tops. Oh, we don't get to set that timeline. That's not how it works. Rebuilding trust is hard, but, but the hardest part is that it's humbling. And if you're going through that or if you've been through that, here's what you know is true. When you're the person having to be humble, what Satan loves to do is come along and whisper to you, no, it's not that this is humbling, it's humiliating. It's humiliating. The truth is that we're being humbled by our sin, but Satan loves to tell us that what's really happening is we're being humiliated by our spouse. That's what Satan loves to do. Don't fall for Satan's deception. Don't fall for it. You're not being humiliated, you're being humbled. You're being humbled because there's nothing more humbling than coming face to face with your own sinfulness. You you can't help but be humbled by that. But what Satan wants to do is grab a hold of your pride and say, no, the real issue is your spouse is trying to humiliate you. That's not what's going on. This is such a big deal because both James and Peter refer back to Proverbs to tell their readers to remember that, quote, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Both James and Peter quote that proverb. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we give in to pride, when we buy into Satan's lies and and chaff against the natural consequences of our sin, buck up against it, say, no, I don't need to do that. You're not the boss of me. I'm not accountable to you. Don't deserve to be treated like a child. When we give in to pride, the Bible says explicitly, God is resisting us. He's resisting us. But, but, when we're humble, when we confess our sin, when we don't blame our spouse for our sin, when we faithfully walk out repentance, when when we're humble, God gives grace and he pours it out on our situation. If you're dealing with anything like the scenario I'm describing, then you know that you need the grace of God poured out on your marriage. That's supernatural grace. And God's word says, you can make that happen. You can bring the grace of God into your marriage. How? By walking out your repentance and humility. Humility unlocks the grace of God in any situation. You're being humbled. You're not being humiliated. As we wrap this up, I uh, I wanna remind you again just to to shift your mind away from what you hope your spouse takes from this message and instead ask the question, what's the Lord saying to me through this message? What does the Lord wanna do in me? Is there a truth about your marriage and an unspoken expectation you have that's never been properly communicated to your spouse or needs to be communicated again? and you're just waiting for them to notice but, but really just becoming more and more bitter over time because they're not noticing, you need to communicate that to them. You need to bring that truth out into the light so that it can be worked out and trust that your spouse loves you and they, they wanna make you happy. Are you determining what is reasonable as far as expectations go in your marriage by asking the question, is this fair? Is your primary concern in your relationship with your spouse, is this a fair distribution of the load? Or is the leading question you ask, what does God want me to do here? What's God asking me to do? He might be asking you to carry way more than your fair share, way more. 
The question needs to be, what is God asking me to do? That's the question for believers. Are you assuming the best about your spouse or are you constantly assuming the worst? And if you've messed up, are are you staying committed to the long process of humbly rebuilding trust? Or are you buying into Satan's lies as he stokes your pride and you're becoming bitter because you feel like your spouse is trying to humiliate you when they're really just trying to make sure you're actually committed to changing? What's the Lord speaking to you? And spend some time thinking about that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, um, just another heavy word uh, from your word about uh, some of the serious ways that we can find ourselves in trouble in our marriages. And Lord, we just wanna begin by recognizing that, that we need your grace on every single marriage reflected in this room. Uh, we need your grace on every single future marriage reflected in this room. We, we need your grace, God. Uh, we are not naturally prone to being gracious. We need your Holy Spirit to make us more like your son, Jesus, to bring grace into our marriages. And so we pray that you would humble us, Lord God, and keep us in the place of humility, a place of recognizing our our need for you, a place of recognizing how much we need your help and your presence in our marriage, God. Lord, if, if there's an area where we need to rebuild trust, would you just help us to be humble, Lord God, and to do it joyfully, one brick at a time, thankful for the opportunity to rebuild that trust. Father, thank you for your word, for for the model it gives that is higher, is better, is greater than anything we can come up with. Thank you that your love for us could never be described as fair. Uh, But we are the recipients of grace we don't deserve, uh, of an eternity we don't deserve, of a status in eternity that that we could never earn. Uh, You've shown us a higher love, a better love, a greater love than anything we could come up with on our own. We're so thankful for your example and and we just confess once again our need to be guided by your spirit in loving our spouses that way. Help us to do that, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. 
Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.